something, and hopefully this will work. This is Philosophers and Mad Men with Josh Moran, and who are you? Uh, Forrest Mickey. Awesome. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is it's sort of working. Oh, right on, dude. Yay. Yeah. So let's get an applause because this is Philosophers yeah. and Mad Men with Josh Moran <laughs> and Forrest Mickey. Uh, we're doing it a bit different today. I am in Buffalo with my dog. And Josh is in Wisconsin with Forrest doing some work. So this is uh, this is the first real high-profile guest we have. And now that I started talking for real, I'm nervous. I don't like that. <laughs> don't be, man. Don't be. Don't you do this every week with Forrest? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I do. That's... Dave and I do see each other once a week on live chats for the, uh, for the classes. So. We do. So, yeah, this feels much more intimate, man. I'm digging it. Yeah. Well, normally I'm drinking scotch during those. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, I used to work, um, most recently it just stopped. I used to work 12 hour days and leave my one job and get back to my house at seven fifty seven and just log on and be like, Oh fuck you. Okay. It's time for live chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're one of the most committed guys we got in there. I really dig it. It's cool for me to see Roland outside of ill position. this is this is couch position josh oh what's up handsome josh can attest to this that uh we we do this thing at work where we talk about i don't really care if your dog's on your furniture it's your house your rules and but you know just don't kick him you know don't punish him when he does it when a guest comes over last time josh was over he sat down and roland just jumped in between us like it was his job because this is what are you doing really this is that's his normal behavior. Be on the couch. Yeah, this is. So he jumps on the couch, knocked my beer all over the place. Yeah, sure yeah. did. His response, being the committed dog trainer he is to consistency, just kind of looked at me and said, "Well, he's allowed to do that." <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> Pretty good much. We're staying consistent <laughs> with it. Dude. Hey, I'm with you. My dogs um, get on the furniture as well. I don't mind as long as they get off when I tell them to. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much it. So. Yeah. Did, did Josh actually tell you about our first venture into uh, the podcast uh, like over a year ago? No. Uh-huh. We, um, we started a podcast, and the first we thought the first episode would be great. It was like, how to become a dog trainer. Mm. Because it was, you know, I had just started working at Canine Connection, and I could just sort of start saying, hey, I'm a dog trainer now. And uh, we got, it was pretty bad. I had some trouble speaking, and... I didn't know Josh well enough at the time that it was comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really know his dogs well enough at the time. And I don't know if you've ever seen his dog, King, the, the Great That's Pity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was sitting in, this, in his dog bed across from me for about 45 minutes. And we're recording. We're doing this whole thing off the cuff. And 45, min- 45 minutes into the podcast, I just paused it. And I was like, dude, your dog's staring at me. He's been staring at me for 45 minutes, and I'm fucking getting scared. I'm a little... It's, it's freaking me out. Can you make him stop? What was it about? He just likes to look at Dave. He's he a handsome guy. He looks at everybody in the face. Okay. Yeah. And just will sustain eye contact. Yeah. Yeah, um, looks right through you. Yeah, when I first got him, he would walk up to people... You know, uh, we'd have people over for hot dogs and hamburgers, stuff like that. And he'd walk up while you're eating in the backyard and get real uncomfortably close. (laughs) And he'd stare at people. Yeah. 
and he would kind of bully them on his food. Got know, it. They'd end got up it. tossing a piece of hot dog to get them got away from it. Yeah, yeah. It's an effective strategy. <laughs> yeah. When you're like an 80 pound pit with yeah. a big giant head, it works pretty well yeah. to just grill people and yeah. get stuff that you want. So Dave, let me ask. You've been you've been dog training now at Canine Connection for about a year. About it's a uh, two years this year. Good for you, man. Um, you're digging it, right? I can tell. Oh yeah. Personally, when I with the with the interaction and classes and what I see from you, that you're really into it. So. I do. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I'm one of those guys who, I can't get halfway into something. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, it's all in. Just, yeah. And that's what it was. I said, you know, hey, uh, I'm going to quit my job and become a dog trainer. And both Tyler and Josh are both like, are you sure you want to quit your job and do this? Because you have a steady job that you make okay money. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just going to quit. Yeah. And they're like, are you, are you sure? They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to quit. It's fine. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it on here before on your podcast. But for me, I just love I love the story of it. So good on you, dude. And I'm... It's good to have another person that's all in. And, and, Absolutely. Uh, well, take it seriously and do a good job with it. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let's. How did you get into it? Like, where did you start? Uh, I guess when I was a, probably like a lot of us when I was a kid wandering around in the woods with dogs. So we we always had them around, and uh, you know whether you're you're always I guess influencing their behavior, whether you're doing it intentionally or understand exactly what you're doing. Um. You know, you just start interacting, spending time with them, sort of, uh, living next to them. So that was it for me. But my path to become a professional dog trainer was much different. I was doing a number of things before that, much like you. Uh, so I had different jobs and a different career path be- uh, before that. But it always sort of tugged at me. And, uh, and the progression into it was kind of natural from that point. So, But, yeah, man, it's been great. And um, one of the cool things about now with the dog world, I talk about this a lot. You probably heard me say this before, too, is um, it's becoming a – it's a big world, but it's becoming a small world just because of information and how quickly it moves around and how we can connect with each other. I mean, right now, Josh is here filming a course at Learburg um, that I'm um, sort of like helping out with. So he comes from Buffalo to the Midwest. We get to hang out. We get to Skype back to his hometown with you. We get to talk about dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's neat, man. It's really neat. I'm feeling beard deficient right now. Uh, oh come on, man! I just nah. I just shaved a bunch of mine. We're almost the same length. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but you got a lot more facial hair than me. I think I still got some growing to do. Or I mean, I'm gonna. I have it to keep hot, a beard. Man. I look yeah. disgusting without a beard. Do you? No. 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 He's cute. I, yeah, cute. I think I might have seen some some uh, video of you not having a beard. You look, yeah, you looked handsome. But you got a great head of hair on you too. It's kind of oh. like an Elvis style. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah. this is. Look at that thing, dude. Yeah, turning into flattery. And then so Roland is a dog that you had rescued and you had come to Josh and Tyler for some help with. Is that (laughs) Yeah. uh, So my girlfriend and I, when we we moved into an apartment where we were able to um, have a dog. So we were like, oh, yeah, let's go adopt the dog. And, you know, um, I had never owned a dog before. Like when I was younger. There's Katie. Hi, Katie. Katie. Come, you're live. Uh-oh. That's fine. Hi, Katie. Hi. What's up, Katie? Hi. We're excited to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. I just had a throw. I had a flush of stink bug. Another stink bug? Yeah. It's fucking cats, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really close to that speaker. Right? No, you guys don't, don't, put, on. Okay, don't cool. put them on a pan and bake them or anything like that. Oh, it was just climbing up the wall just now. Perfect. So I flushed it. So you hear that, world? We have stink bugs in our apartment. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can hear this right now, but... 
Roland's trying to play with my cat. Yeah, Roland's trying to um, initiate a game of play with a nine-pound calico cat who's currently loafed up. No, no, it's boots. Oh, yeah. Where, can you see that? Oh, come here, honey. What are you fucking Gets doing? on ball with him, huh? Good for you. Come yeah, here. he's a... That's Lillian. Oh. Cool. So Lillian's on TV. Yeah. Hey. So. Two cats and one dog? That's your household. <laughs> that's, that's my household. Right on. Yeah, so we um, we went to... The, the local shelter has something called Adopt-A-Bully, uh, where they bring all the, the bully breeds to the park, and uh, you just sort of meet the dogs and whatever. And uh, I'd never owned a dog before, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just thought dogs were, you know, cool. Like, there was no such thing as uh, reactivity Things like that. You never really, you know, not being a savvy dog person, I didn't really know about that stuff. Sure, sure. And uh, we saw this gangly dude. Like, when we got him, he was super tall, like real long legs, and skinny, like 30 pounds. And uh, he had two straight eyes, if you can believe that. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just sat down with this dog, and he started biting on my finger. And I was like, ooh, he's kind of a shithead. I like him. <laughs> so, uh, so we got him, and... Uh, I was like, oh, cool. And I remember going on my first walk with him, and we passed by a dog, and he just almost choked himself unconscious on a flat collar and wow. just, like, dug into it and just started going ballistic. And I was like, holy shit. I think we have a problem on our hands. Maybe we'll just, like, give him some distance. And uh, so I'm, like, across the street, and he's still freaking out over dogs. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, you know problem like shoulders hurting from walking him uh he dove he i had him on a front clip harness and he jumped off of our porch which is only like five feet up in the air and he but this jumped. is also where it's important to point out earlier Dave yeah. said originally he had two straight eyes yeah two straight yeah. eyes i'm yeah. pretty sure that this is what happened so he jumps off the porch and he lands face first because he's wearing a front clip harness lands face first on the cement gets up his face is all cut up and he's all bloody and he just looks at me and he's like, I don't care. Let's fucking party. And I was like, all right, I'm in over my head. So a quick Google search pulls up Canine Connection and uh, I was like, man, I don't want to be that guy who brings the dog in the lobby who's just super loud and obnoxious. And of course, you know, you've seen videos of him training and he's pretty loud, but he's a, he's pretty leaky in terms of just vocalization over anything. And uh, I'm in the waiting room, and he's just going ballistic. And I do my lessons with Tyler, and uh, I'll never forget. He was like, how is he with dogs? And I was like, oh, he wants to kill all dogs. Like, he's a total nutcase. And he was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to bring my dog in. And I was like, wait, wait, what? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to bring in Lobo. It's going to be fine. So he brought his dog in, and, of course, Roland's going nutty. And he goes, yeah, yeah, just drop the leash. She'll be fine. And I was like, oh, dude, there's no way. Like, this dog's screaming. So I drop the leash, and Roland just runs up to him, sniffs him, and he's like, all right, cool. I don't care. And I was like, oh, all right. So that blew my mind. And then uh, it was like practice. You have to practice dog training. And I was like, oh, shit, okay, I can do that. So I was practicing. Dude, what are you doing? All right. He's uh, muscling the cat off the bed. So being being a dog. But uh, so I practiced, practiced, practiced. I did my group classes. And uh, I saw Josh, he was a dude who had a big beard and a lot of tattoos, and I was like, hmm, he seems pretty normal to me, right? <laughs> and uh, he was also the first one who was just like, dude, I think, you know your dog's cross-eyed, right? And I was like, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, 
So I was actually, I was going to the reactive group classes because Roland is what you would call a reactive dog. And uh, I was just like going, going, going. And I was like, all right, well. And then eventually started falling asleep during the classes while all the other dogs were blowing up. So I was like, oh, I guess this does work. Mm. And then I just signed up for another membership and then became a trainer sort of yeah, after that. You did. And uh, I was real fortunate that you were in the area with these cats too because, oh. of course, my opinion is that they're really great at what they do. I love spending time with them. So it's, I think it's real fortunate that you were in the area and came across such a cool support group and guys that are so knowledgeable and uh, I think dedicated to it. So. For sure. That's what really grabbed me about it. You know, the mm. first thing that, that got me was when I called and uh, at the time – Josh's lady was the office, uh, the receptionist slash office manager slash does everything. Bouncer, and yeah. I, I remember her saying, yeah, so it's going to be $549. I was like, oh. I was like, all right, cool. Well, you guys take credit cards, right? Because I'll go into debt over this. <laughs> but it, it was tough because I remember I was just talking to Tyler about it the other day. I remember being in like just laying next to Katie. We'd be in bed and like thinking like, did we make the right choice getting this dog? Like, right. do I? We might have to give him up because, mm. like, I can't handle this. The dog is insane. Mm. But uh, now that you know, now that we've done our all our work and everything, now I got the dog tattooed on my leg twice. Right? <laughs> there you go. That's a great. That's a great end of that story. Uh, I w- I've been in a very familiar or similar situation to that. I mean, Jessica decided she wanted to get a dog of her own, and we went to the Buffalo city shelter. She, uh, picked out this dog that she was completely head over heels about that. I continuously was like, no, 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 let's get this other one. Yeah. But he, she wanted this little 50 pound pity, little black dog, super cute, crazy affectionate through the gate. And, uh, met my dog King instant buddies. They're, they're awesome. good friends. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, we went to a pet store once, took our dogs, and we had to, uh, you know, we walked through the pet store. Just no other dogs were in there. Pretty nonchalant, just a regular old interaction. Walking around the pet store, picked up a couple things, go out to the parking lot, and put the stuff in the truck. She put Stella, her uh, new dog, in the back seat of the car. And I was going to put King in the back so we could leave. And as she put Stella in and I stepped, and she stepped to the side so I could put King in, Stella fires out of the back seat and she's launched out of a rocket and ran about 40 yards across the parking lot and just full-on physically assaults some guy's dog getting out of the car. He's about to go into the pet store. Oh, man. Whoa. And we had no idea. Yeah. She had walked by dogs. She had been yeah. okay. She had been around my dog. Yeah. It was never even a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then, bang, across the parking lot, grabbed the dog, started shaking the bejesus out of it, ran over there, scooped her up. The guy looked at his dog, seemed okay. He said, okay, have a good one, went inside. So we were kind of dumbfounded by the fact that he just kind of like... Was okay with it. Yeah, yeah, threw the deuces and yeah. left. <laughs> You know, so we put our this, dogs. That's a scary situation. Oh yeah, it was sure. it was really scary, and uh, put the dogs in the back seat of the car. And it was a real quiet ride for about fifteen minutes while we like what process that yeah. in the hell just happened. Yeah, you know, well, what's going on? That was 
it, it is a very nerve-wracking situation to be in when you don't know. That's that's like even a possibility. Yeah. Nobody talks still, about that. You still have Stella? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Stella not. Yeah. Well, and you haven't had any repeats of that. You're managing that, or you're aware of that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah now that we know, it's a possibility. A high likelihood. Yeah. She um she can be around dogs. I have a muzzler every time she meets a new dog. As a a mandatory, if she's gonna meet a new dog that I. I don't know that well for sure. Yeah. She's going to be muzzled. Mm-hmm. After she meets a dog once or twice, it's usually fine. They yeah. can hang out, run around the yard, yeah. go to the park, things like that. But first interactions, she's muzzled because yeah. when it. she does decide mm-hmm. it's go time, mm-hmm. it's usually not a corrective action. Mm-hmm. Uh, to kill her. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's looking to me. Yeah. So. That was, uh, do you remember the first time that Stella and Roland met? It was, uh, yeah. there was, we were at a park and Stella was muzzled. And we were just, like, hiking at this park, just hanging out. And uh, I remember uh, Josh was like, oh, yeah, you know, Stella seems pretty comfortable. We can take her muzzle off. And we just, like, look back, and her muzzle's already pulled off. She just pulled it off, and it's just hanging down by her face, and her and Roland are playing. I was oh, like, cool. oh, yeah, all right, yeah. cool. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> looks like they're step ahead of you guys. I had planned that the whole time, actually. Yeah. So. But it's funny that you were, you were saying that um, nobody really talks about that. Like that—that that was what it was for me. Like nobody, you nobody really talks about dog aggression. Like that shit is real and it's serious, and uh, that's kind of what it what keeps me going in this training. Like nobody really talks about dog aggression, and you know where, you know the clients we deal with and the people I usually talk to, which are clients, like they don't really talk about competition healing or just like fun crazy stuff you can do with your dog, right? Like, they're not like, oh, you can teach a dog to prance? I'm like, shit, yeah, you can. Yeah. Like, they don't, they don't talk about that. It might be to them or it might not matter to them, um, you know. And, like, so if you're not in the competitive world or familiar with those disciplines or sports that require, say, the healing that you're talking about, yeah, man, cheers. Ooh, it's a uh, bourbon barrel aged. It looks great. We should, uh, Josh is going to ship some beer back, by the way. I say that. You can let that be known, yeah. Well, I mean... Some great beer in Wisconsin that can't get out of Wisconsin unless you come here, buy it. <laughs> well, ship I yeah. mean... We're bootlegging, essentially. That's what's going on here. Make it bathtub beer? Yeah, this is bootleggers and... What is this podcast? Bootleggers yeah. and Mad Men? Yeah, yeah, bootleggers and Mad Men. But what I was going to say about that is there, I hear more... I mean, me personally, more people talking about... Um, dog aggression these days and, and maybe it's because I'm paying attention to more of the people that are out there training and teaching and crossing paths with peers that are also dog trainers and I'm personally uh, like challenge myself to grow in that area it's not something that I've have a ton of experience in so when I'm around guys like Tyler and Josh um, and even when you're chiming in in the course I really appreciate guys that are on the ground level that are dealing with that on a daily basis and so for me I pick up loads from that stuff and then um you know, one of the I'm sure you guys have had conversations like this with other people too, but like aggression is such a big, it's like a blanket term. Right? Oh yeah, and for it's sure. Just, yeah, maybe yeah. it's maybe it's overused, and maybe if we were going to have real conversations, then that we'd have to define what what that actually means, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And um, you know, people say, well, a dog is aggressive, and, and sometimes we think that it's, it's I don't know, it's got a screw loose or it's forward or it's strong or it wants to kill something or it's got like this level of confidence that makes it go out and be a bully it's probably opposite of that huh? it's generally comes from an insecure place and dogs that sure. don't feel they have other choices and sure. sometimes it's learned 
Yeah, most certainly. And I think there's, you know, there's a distinction to be made that I think some people do make, and I believe rightly so, the distinction between uh, an exaggerated threat display, the dog at the end of the leash barking and lunging, hair standing up, things like that, mm-hmm. versus what I look at as actual aggression, the intention to do cool physical okay. harm. You know, so you look at the difference between a dog that is unrestrained by boundaries of a leash, a fence, a window, a car, any of the things that normally prevent them from getting to prey animals, and they don't ever lunge and bark and have their hair stand up. Mm. Dogs don't do that when they get to chase a rabbit unimpeded. Mm. Mm. That's a dog who wants to do grievous harm to said Mm. rabbit. Mm. Mm. But those same dogs, if they're threatened by another dog, they put on a very different display Mm. of their ability to do harm. Mm. They... They essentially bluff. Yeah. And I think yeah. to a great degree, that's what people are dealing with. And there's there's a lot of trainers now that are talking about the differences between the two. And I think that's really important. And I kind of think what Dave was alluding to and me for sure was alluding to when we were talking about our dogs is from kind of the consumer standpoint, nobody brings that up when you're considering getting a dog. Got it. Got it. Right. <laughs> nobody's nobody's talking about the possibility that yeah. it's not a strong selling point. <laughs> yeah. like, you you might get a hole in you. It's been in the shelter for six months. <laughs> yeah. P.S. There's a chance it might just want to beat the hell out of yeah. other dogs. And we actually have some videos. <laughs> five o'clock news. This is this yeah. dog yeah. mangling three other dogs in a Petco parking lot. Exactly. It's here, and uh, hopefully. So I think you're right when you're talking about uh, it's coming from insecurity and kind of a fearful place. That's most certainly what I see most often when I'm dealing with dogs who are labeled as aggressive, but in my opinion are are just displaying, you know, an exaggerated response to a th- yeah. what they view as a threat. Yeah. This dog might hurt me, so I'm going to seem like a super intense badass, mm. and that that dog's not going to want to deal mm. with me. Mm. But I guess that's not to say that those dogs wouldn't bite other dogs they wouldn't do harm right that's probably not their first intention mm. and I, I guess this is a question for you guys and just because you're doing it day in day out you think a lot of this stuff happens or comes about within a dog because of a perceived lack of choice from them so they're put in situations where they perceive they have no other choices um, they're not they're uncomfortable maybe at, at some point they move to what is we call what we're calling an aggressive behavior it diffuses the situation, makes distance, let, makes another dog, person, whatever, go away. And then they, they realize that that's a good strategy to, I don't know, alleviating discomfort wherever that's coming from. If they mm-hmm. just go to that length, they go to that level, they can get out of, move away from, get things to move away from them. And so then it's learned in that sense with, with a lot of dogs. Do you find that? Or? I do, for sure. I mean, at least that's what I perceive, right? So like. I can't know 100%, but I, I do personally think that um, there's a huge percentage of dogs that are confusing correlation and causation, mm. kind of what happens when the mailman comes to your house. The mm. dog barks and the mailman leaves, mm. but he was going to leave anyway. Right. Your barking didn't cause him to leave, Right. but there's a lot of dogs where you're walking up the street, and Dave's example, he's walking Roland, and Roland flies off the handle. Mm. And the other dog is removed from him. So whether that's just the frustration of being that close to a dog he can't get to is removed mm-hmm. from him, or what he perceives as a threat mm-hmm. is removed from him, mm-hmm. is somewhat irrelevant. Mm-hmm. He may believe, I made that happen. This behavior becomes empowering with a lot of dogs. Yeah. 
you know, they start, that's why some dogs bark out the window originally at the mailman, but then it's anything that comes by the house, mm -hmm. whether it's people walking their dogs or, mm -hmm. you know, freaking cars going yeah. down the street. I've had his clients complain. Maybe at some point it just becomes a little game for them too. Yeah, the exactly. Dogs that are in the house exactly. Too. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things I really like about, I don't know if you're going to say something, Dave. I think I cut Josh. Uh, no, mm. I was just going to, I was going to touch on something that I thought was really interesting. That's been happening a lot more and more recently. Um, well, the first thing is, I, I'm a firm believer in once a dog finds out that their teeth work in terms of making people go away, they they get very teeth happy, you know, so... And this is kind of what we're talking about, about, like, biting or what we're yeah, calling... Yeah, absolutely. They, they being find, behavior, right? Yeah, yeah, you find out it works, and I'm going to just keep doing that. And then, you know, recently, so we deal with dogs a lot, obviously, uh, that like to bark at people because it makes them go away. Mm. And the perfect example is I have to walk through Josh's lessons sometimes to get from one end of the building to the other one. Dog starts blowing up, and I know right away. I walk over, and I grab the leash from Josh, and he hands it off to me. He says, here you go. And what do you think that dog does? Stops and goes, yeah. holy shit. That guy that was barking at me now is holding me. Okay, well, uh, yeah, we're cool. Mm. Yeah, mm. we're cool, man. No worries. Yeah, yeah. I think he changed that, the circumstance a bit, and that floors him some, huh? Oh yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's kind of like the light bulb moments when the dog's getting a new behavior, really learning a new behavior, and uh, the dog's really learning like, oh, okay, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not anymore. <laughs> I like it, dude. I've got a border collie that um, has used his mouth for sure to get out of situations, and so. Um, you know, kind of like my goal with him is, of course, I have to manage him um, and promote good, like promote good choices, or and more importantly, probably put him in situations where he has other choices that he can make and that he finds success through an alternative strategy aside from using his mouth. And so it's been oh, um, I mean, a couple of years since he has um, done it, and so I feel like the further I am from his last incident, the like the, just the better he's doing. And one thing I know just from uh, spending some time with Tyler and Josh and getting to know these guys and just an appreciation for how thoughtful they are with this work, with dogs that come in and that are exhibiting this behavior, it's dangerous or it's potentially dangerous, um, is I think one of the things they focus on when they are training these dogs, um, not only just in the, in the obedience work, but then when they're going down, I guess, the socialization or the rehabilitation or whatever, however you guys call it, is giving these, these dogs alternatives to what they were doing. Uh, previously, so whatever they're in for, if it is they're biting other dogs uh, when they get too close for whatever reason, um, it's teaching them that there are different choices that they can make, and actually they can they can get what they want, or it's a better uh, solution for them in those situations that they previously chose what is a dangerous behavior. And I know that you guys use a lot of bat training, mm -hmm. right, or mm -hmm. cycling work. I think one's one of the things we've talked about before is. Mm -hmm. So Grisha had written a nice book on bat training, and she, I think, quantified a lot of the things that were already out there, right? Like a lot of these, this cycling work and this systematic desensitization or exposure to what we call triggers or whatever so that we can give the dog positive experiences in a way that they can cope with things and find more efficient feelings towards something that they were feeling, you could say, inefficient towards previously. And that by repeatedly giving them these positive experiences around these things that you chip away at what was previously negative experiences or what was causing them to respond or act negatively. And I see that you guys do that a lot. And what I love is just how focused you are on the dog actually making choices. So you're not 
as there's like as Tyler was saying, going toe to toe so much with these things. That's the obedient side of it, but exposing them in a safe way so that they can find their own confidence outside of a human saying, I'm going to manage or facilitate this whole thing. Uh, and so the dogs go in, can make different choices, are reinforced for those things. And now we're closer to where we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Is that worry? What the hell I'm talking about? No, I mean, that's uh, a... <laughs> drinking some... It's, just, it's, my, it's a half a beer in, man. I don't drink much. <laughs> The California medicine is kind of more my style. <laughs> no, I, I understand completely where you're coming from, and I think uh, you kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier when you were talking about it. Um, yeah, you just said something about whether or not these dogs know they have a choice. Right. And one of the things that I, I think about a lot when I'm looking at dogs who are behaving aggressively on a leash is I look at protection work. And when most of you guys are trying to bring out a more aggressive response, almost always those dogs are restrained. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on tie bags, mm-hmm. somebody's posting up and holding the dog in the leash. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that I, I think kind of exacerbates that response. Mm-hmm. I, th- I believe there's a reason most of those dogs aren't put through that work with no restraint whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The restraint itself can sometimes cause more of an aggressive response. Mm-hmm. You, know? mm-hmm. you no longer have fight or flight mm-hmm. because you can't leave. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who, when they're walking their dogs up and down the street, they're doing almost exactly the same thing. They don't know it. Right, sure. They're pulling on the leash, they're restraining their dog, mm-hmm. and they're putting some of those principles into play. Mm-hmm. They're going to bring out a more defensive or a more you know, kind of threatening display from their dog. And you're saying if you reduce it to flight or fight, if they are on a leash, they perceive there's no flight, so they'll they'll fight. That's the alternative. That's the only option they've got left. Yeah. So yeah. if they view the other dog as a potential threat, got it. Yeah. And they can't leave. Hmm. And what else are they left? Yeah. What, sure. what else are you gonna do? Well, sure. I can't walk away anymore, so I have to essentially make that thing walk away. Yeah. Sure. In my opinion, that kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier, where then. They try that, mm-hmm. it works, and therefore mm-hmm. they start trying it more often. Mm-hmm. And they can start applying it to a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. stimulus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for a dog, it only takes one, like one bad yeah. experience, right? so like a single event learning experience, and they're kind of locked into that. Yeah, that strategy it's powerful. Then, so what do you, let me just ask you guys, um, maybe Josh, you've been doing this a while, so maybe I'll kind of direct it towards you. Where do you think it comes from? Like most of the clients that are coming in, and you're seeing dogs that are exhibiting what looks like aggressive behavior. Like why is it? What do you? So I think some of it is just full blown lack of education. You know, on on the side of the handler, they don't they don't know any of the basic principles that need to be in place to actually teach their dog much of anything. Mm-hmm. It's very rare I have somebody who brings a dog in for training that's displaying those type of reactive behaviors on a leash, but also knows a ton of different aspects of obedience or knows a whole bunch of, Mm -hmm. you know, cool tricks they can do. Some of these dogs might know a sit and shake, but even those things aren't reliable enough to happen outside of the living room. Sure. So I think there's a big lack of education on the part of handlers, but also I think that some of that, for me anyway, and we were kind of talking a bit about this earlier, is just how people raise puppies. Mm -hmm. I personally have a bit of an issue with like the kind of traditional puppy class mm. in a sense that it's a bunch of puppies socializing, you know, air quotes socializing, <laughs> sure, just sure. 
essentially it's a bunch of kindergartners trying to teach other kindergartners about life. Sure, sure. And they just, okay. they don't know shit. Okay. <laughs> so like they don't know how it goes. So there's some of those dogs that, you know, you're right now raising a puppy. Mm-hmm. You know, a young Malinois, super enthusiastic, excited when he sees other dogs. Mm-hmm. And you have some older dogs that are going to set some clear social boundaries. Mm-hmm. This is what's appropriate. This is what's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. So he's going to learn where to find some middle ground, mm-hmm. where to where to hit the gas and where to back off mm. where there's a lot of dogs that I don't necessarily are, think are getting a, a good education that way. Mm-hmm. How important is that to have I think role model dogs around for you? I think it's extraordinarily important. Um, whether or not I have a lot of science to back that up is, <laughs> you know, is, is something else. But yeah. when I got my last puppy, Seif, one of the big reasons I wanted to get her when I did was because my older pity was you know, much more active. He was a younger dog and he was around to influence her behavior and he was somebody I could raise her side by side with. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal for me because he was not only a dog that kind of changed my life in the sense that he, he pushed me to be a dog trainer, but I've seen him do things socializing with other dogs that I've just quite literally not ever really seen any other dogs do. Mm-hmm. Be a presence that never had to demand and you know, kind of bluster his way mm. to respect. Mm. It was just just there. That's that's who he it, was. The it fact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was nice being able to, to raise Seif with a dog like that because his influence directly played into who she kind of developed into. So I put a lot of stake into raising puppies, and I think that there should be kind of a, a different mentality when it comes to raising puppies. It's not just a how many dogs can I introduce this puppy to? I think it should be more quality over quantity. Cool. Yeah, I like that. If your puppy meets 30 dogs and they all suck, yeah. they kind of think puppies suck. Yeah. And I've seen a... And, dogs suck. Yeah, yeah, puppy thinks dogs suck. Yeah. And I've seen a bunch of, or, or heard from a lot of clients that when they went to puppy class, it was just chaos. Yes. They're standing there, sure. the puppies are beating the crap out of each sure. other, puppies are trying to hide under chairs to get away from them, things like that. And I just think that that's not really the way to spark off a, a good social relationship or, you know, maybe a, a different way of word, just like a... An expectation for yeah, those exactly. dogs as they go out. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Josh is here. I've got a... David, you've seen him too. Miho is nine weeks old or little, he's a little older than that. Oh, yeah. Old. And um, I think one of the things Josh had asked me, you know, it's a bit... It's changing now, so the culture is changing in the sport world, and I'm I'm hardly a part of the sport world anymore. Um, I care a lot about it and precision obedience. I like to teach my dogs some pretty nifty skills and that sort of thing. And um, but <clears throat> it used to be the case that these dogs it didn't matter too much if they had social skills or if their aptitude was there within that context or in that world really, and it, it mattered more how they performed on the field and. So as that climate's changed a bit, and you've seen some trainers that have gone out and said, I think you can do both, and they're, they're proving it. And, a lot, and that's happening across the world right now, that certain people that, that have the time and the inclination are saying, I care as much about my dog's real-world skills as I do about what they can do on a field or in a ring. And that, to me, is really inspiring, and that's something that I kind of aspire towards with my own dogs. But when Josh had come in, he said, so you know, how are you going to do this, or how are you raising him? Are you Do you feel like... The, you know, putting him in a crate and over man- or like managing him a lot that way, and pulling him out and turning him on in the work and putting him back and letting him, you know, wait till his next turn is sort of how you like to do things. It's, I don't know if you were surprised by like how I how I go with Miho or if you, you're not surprised, but it's really not 
that at all. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't just, that surprised. I was just more curious. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I just and, like to see what other people are doing. Because pretty much I just let that dog <laughs> run around and do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> Once in a while I call his name, hope he comes and gives a piece of food for him. <laughs> Josh is like, this guy's a dog trainer? Are you kidding me? Oh, shit. But, no, uh, this is real dog trainer for, info. But in, this is so, and this is the stuff, the, like the most exciting things for me, like since you've been here in these last couple of days, and Josh could probably like attest to this is like when I'm looking at Josh going, check that out with a big smile. It's when Miho is like loose in the house, you know, at nine weeks, able to make his own choices and just decides to go and lay down and chill. And, just, and that's a nine week old Malinois that wants to fill his mouth with stuff. And he's, you know, he's pretty full of himself. So he's cruising around and yeah, I got to keep an eye on him, but. I just get really pumped up when, on his own accord, he'll he'll go and settle in on a dog bed. He doesn't know the dog bed, but he sure likes going and laying on them because they're comfortable. And for me, that that gets me excited because I, with my other two dogs who are, you know, two sport dogs who are, they're really nice dogs both socially and in the work. But I didn't allow that as much, so um, I'm really making a lot of room for that right now with me. That's uh, important. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty cool. You know, I, I unfortunately... It's easy, man. The healing's easy. It's yeah. the other stuff. Right. Dude. Well, it's the real shit, man. That's it's funny because I can't... I can barely weigh in on that because I've I've never raised a, a puppy puppy. All right. So I got Roland at uh, 10 months. He was already... He already had all of his great habits, you know, <laughs> like really digging in on that leash and really blatant well, disregard for your knees. Right now. Yeah, there's one coming home to you right now. His name is Miho. Ten weeks. Bring him on, dude. Like, <laughs> so it's funny. So you see, your only your only interactions with Roland are seeing me pump him up and get him working. But yeah. right, so that's tired. Is he under that blanket? Yeah, that's what he does. He goes. Uh, it's uh, snuggle time, so it's under the blanket, and uh, I'm just gonna lay under there. And then if I got, if you know, if I went out and got a vest and I was like, hey, dude, you want to do some work? That blanket would pop up and he's like, oh, shit, yeah, let's go do some healing. But like, it, I had to teach this dog how to relax. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, it's okay. You can go lay down now. Like, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. I'm going to heavily reward you just sitting down and staying in one spot for two minutes. That's the greatest thing in the world to me right now. So I can, I can ask about this. Um, I had read a book a couple of years ago, it was called Fired Up, Doubt, and Frantic, and it was by um, Lauren, I can't remember the name, we can look it up, but anyway, uh, she was talking about relaxation protocols, or she was calling it mat, mat training, I think it's essentially relaxation protocol, using using food, using a mat, so a physical reference point, using food maybe to calm the mind and to condition relaxation, essentially is what they're after. Operative Sorry? No, nothing. Well, a, I said, you mean operant conditioning? Yeah, well, to me, it just seemed like, what, a, what about a dog that reaches a certain arousal state at the prospect of food? And then does that sort of negate their ability to relax or settle in? And this is something I don't have a lot of experience in, so I'm just kind of interested, maybe like, Josh, if you've got experience with this, or if any of your peers, or Dave, if you're playing around with this stuff, but the idea of conditioning a relaxed mental state for rewards, or... <clears throat> And I'll, I'll tell a, story, a little story about Hans Schlegel after, but let me just, I guess I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. So uh, are you talking about using rewards to, just to make sure, because I was looking up the name of that lady where you were talking. Oh, okay. so, so, <laughs> so you're talking about using rewards to condition a more relaxed okay. state, not just a duration-based command 
of which can sometimes involve a dog that's still can my dog go to sleep? Will my dog choose to go to sleep or actually fall asleep because they think they're going to get a piece of kibble for it? That to me seems backwards, you know. Yeah, I mean, me personally, yeah. I don't really get too heavy into that um, because for the reward, in my opinion, to be valuable there's going to be a certain amount of arousal mm-hmm. associated with that. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's not always true in a literal sense, that, like, always. Right. You know, because it depends on the reward. Right? So for a lot of dogs, a nice back rub and some calm physical praise and affection right. is rewarding. Right. And it may not amp the dog. Got it. Right, right. But if we're talking about food, yeah, I think that you're going to run a higher risk of creating a more active type behavior. Right. Almost an in-drive down versus a lazy hip over on the side type Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking to create calm, I'm going to look for more duration probably than I'm going to look for rewards Mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm going to want the dog to hang out on their dog bed for a while and just kind of get comfortable in that position more so than I'm going to look for the dog to do it because they're going to get food. Right. Because I think that anticipation or expectation is probably going to kind of mm-hmm. keep the dog from really relaxing. Yeah, kind of, I thought that. You know, I don't... And I should say um, with, the, with the author that we're talking about, because this is a, a public thing, it was, not, it was not criticism or anything. I just I read it and because I'm always reading something dog-related. It was really interesting. There was great information in there. And um, I just had thought a lot about that. And I thought if there would be any level of con- – and I'm sure it's dog-dependent. I know it always is. That's the answer to dog training. But I thought that it was an interesting thing and I thought it would be – had the potential to put certain dogs in conflict. And so I was in Switzerland. I went out and hung out with this guy. Yeah, there it is. Laura Van Arden. Donk. Yeah. Donk. Heard, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys, if oh. people actually listen to this stuff, but okay. <laughs> I was rambling. Here. Well, I don't know how to read. I, so. I'd recommend to read the book because it's got great information. In it. Now, before you get into your story uh, about Switzerland, yeah. in that book, was she advocating the use of food to create a calm? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, she, you know, she's done a lot of work in this area and has had a lot of success. So I think cool. to really, I think, tackle it and and see what's going on. I'd want to spend time with people that are proficient at training that are really experienced because there's going to be moments, you know, where you see a dog that maybe is a bit aroused running over to their mat and is, uh, you, like, I don't know, you can see it. You mm-hmm. can see the, the enthusiasm in there. And I would be interested to say, you know, like, what are you thinking right now about that? Is that actually counterproductive, what you're, what you're achieving there with this dog because you're creating this through the use of, Food rewards, and this particular dog seems to be pretty excited about it. So, mm-hmm. And no, I'm, I, those are just great conversations I like to have with people about. It, so. it was interesting. That's kind of why I brought yep. it up and asked. And I've heard you guys talk about relaxation pro- or conditioned relaxation. Is that the words that you use? Condition? Me? Yeah. Have you or? We're getting we're, we're treading water here. Uh, no, it, it most certainly is something that's. Uh, is talked about quite a bit. I don't really monkey around with it that much. Um, I think it's, it's really been popularized by a woman named Casey Cover. Okay. And that's a lot of work. Got it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> comes from, I personally have just not done a lot of the work. Okay. Uh, I know that Tyler has done some of it, and I think there may be some value in that aspect of what she's doing, where she's conditioning dogs 
to get calm and comfortable and she's not using food to do so got it okay so and that's maybe an important distinction to make just kind of wondering right. yeah I, I agree and that's that's one of those things I think is probably a bit different than you know what's I, I don't know I haven't read the book but I think what Casey is advocating isn't really using food mm-hmm. to get to that level of calm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. comfort from what I understand it's a lot of physical touch and almost massage techniques cool yeah I like that so yeah. and then uh, if if then statements right is that you know I'm trying to I'm trying to remember back to oh we were talking about that we Josh was, was talking about yeah. that yeah. That kind of this idea of talking to your dog in complete sentences or paragraphs. Yeah, that's where you know that's where my operant conditioning uh, comment came from, right? Uh, but okay. it's, <laughs> it's like weird, dude. I just thought you were just throwing out weird stuff. No, well, yeah, I'm I'm prone to do that as well. But I, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, who doesn't enjoy a deep tissue massage, right? <laughs> but you know, I think it doesn't. If I'm not mistaken, Casey really does a lot of this with exotic animals, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. She, so she does work with dogs, and she has worked with a lot of exotic animals. And to be 100% honest and, and completely fair to Casey, I have never put the time in to kind of really study wholeheartedly what she does. Yeah. So yeah. This is bro science. Right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, exactly. good. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, we, oh. And I don't want it to come across as, you know, 100% like, hey – what she's doing isn't real. It doesn't work. Right. I don't know. I haven't gone through any of her workshops or anything yeah. like that. So uh, just from what I understand that she does about conditioned relaxation, I've read through some of the materials she's made available. She doesn't advocate the use of food. I haven't gotten at all into if-then statements outside of normal operant conditioning. Um, but – other than that, I don't have any real experience with Got it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't fuck with tigers. Let's let's say that, right? <laughs> I don't want to get. You know what I mean? Like I can. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really know where to go with it. It's, you're not, not um, touching a tiger. No, no. Honestly, you know, when I was younger, <clears throat> my uncle owned a wildlife preserve, and he had cougars in like, in captivity that he took care of. There were two injured cougars that he nursed back to health or whatever, and he had them, and, you know, we would feed them through the fence, and their paws were the size of my head. And they were, you know, there's no way they could get to me, but they were still terrifying, Mm. right? And I just, I remember being, like, 11 years old, right? So when you're 11, you don't even, you're just, I don't know, you're doing what 11-year-olds do. But I remember distinctly saying out loud, fuck that. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Right? At eleven. Yeah, exactly. Well, the cool part about it, he did have a pack of wolves that you could go in into the their containment area and hang out with. So that was a pretty rad thing. And uh, but you know, well, regardless, condition relaxation. Uh, it's you know I played around with it a little bit. I'm not uh, I'm not an expert on it. And again, bro science here. But uh, a lot of relaxation that happens with Roland was just a lot of duration, right? So a lot of go in your dog bed, chill out, and it's going to be great. Uh, I'll make it great. But uh, that brings up an interesting point. So we teach, uh, we taught Roland to go to his dog bed and rewarded that heavily with food. Mm. So he goes and hits that bed with passion, a.k.a. he slips off of it because he runs at it so fast. 
Mm. And it, I wonder if it's like, you know, you're going to be there for a good long time, dude. So I'm wondering why you're so pumped about doing that. Are you mm. just so pumped because I asked you to do that? Mm. Or are you just so pumped because you think I may reward you for doing the place command, which I haven't actually given you a piece of food for doing in probably a year and a half, two years, mm. right? That's just part of life now. It's no mm. longer uh, a rewardable, you know, event. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah. when was the last time you rewarded Elzer for sitting down? Um, it's not so long ago. It's, it's, wasn't, it's not been a year and a half. <laughs> well, right. Okay. <laughs> um, Bad example. You know, but I, but you know, there's different things like um, in your training with Roland. You know what I see on big. Oh, lost you for a second there. Hold on. Uh, we're gonna okay. go. Wait, you good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. start. Yeah, start over. Yeah, no worries. So I was just saying, you know, like with Roland, when I watch you on video, um, and you're showing me a very. Uh, like specific training context where you're controlling an environment, controlling resources, asking for particular precision behaviors for him. And you're trying to make something that not everybody's trying to make. And a lot of it, our ability first to create the behaviors and then also to promote duration within those behaviors or a program. So if we're going to build a program, especially with reward-based means, we have to have a dog that's motivated for it. So we're going to pay a lot more within those and we're probably never going to stop paying because that's what it takes to keep their attitude up within it so i actually challenge myself though um within everyday life to remain to maintain reward schedules on things because um i don't ever want to not be impressed at some point eventually with what my dogs are doing so in, in the beginning when i have young dogs they impress me a lot and i let them know it and i pay them for it and whatever matters to them um, we, I relate to them that way. And then as they get older, um, and it's, I guess I don't know, it's not always about impressing me, but in a, in a relationship when there's that interplay and that dynamic, uh, especially within sport contexts, maybe it's a little bit about that, right? If they're going to work to make me come alive for them or if they're going to develop a strategy um, to make me give them things or interact with them in certain ways, I guess you could say it's kind of about impressing me. And as they get older, it takes more to impress me but when I'm impressed I'm really impressed and so I kind of position it a little bit that way in everyday life though um, maybe it's not as reasonable like that's this is kind of the conversation about like reward based training why well, I, I don't want to always carry food around with me you can't always reward them um, you know what if I don't want to want to always have to pay these things or at some point I want to cut it off and for me, it's not that important. I'll always be prepared to pay if something kind of nice happens. And that exists both in the sport and in, in every day. And for me, that's just the way that I like to do it. My dogs seem to enjoy that. I've, as I've observed them and played around with different things, I think that that's important. And it's helped me maintain a more cooperative and I think kind of like honest and you know, loving appreciative relationship and surely helped maintain the behaviors that I've worked so hard to build. So I'm afraid of completely moving away from ever telling them they're good for doing shit, forever giving them something. And it might be few and far between, but it's likely to happen still. And one of the things, you know, this is something that kind of, um, I'm rambling a bit here. These late night, it's because we're drinking late night. Ramble away. Sitting in a, what is this, a 
pine tongue and room, room cabin with <laughs> guns everywhere. We are in the middle of Wisconsin, a room with guns everywhere. People listening could see this room. I think they would think, <laughs> this is Mad Men right here, yeah. man. But um, the like with with Elzer, um, I noticed that his his recall. You know, it used to be 100% gratitude, right? So if I was going to put a number on it, I'd say he's like 80% right now. He's he's good at it. And sometimes I see when he comes, he feels like it's a bit of a pain in his ass. That's an indication to me that my pattern is is off. So I'm either taking it for granted that he's still coming uh, to me. And yeah, he should. He's gone through all the like the appropriate channels of training. He's got a complete education in it. So for him, he likes to come and he, he, he knows he should come too. But... Um, I can always tell if I'm missing and if I'm not acknowledging when they're doing certain behaviors over time because there's a dip in their attitude about them. And they'll come with a little – you can almost see it. It's a little bit of like, oh, man, I, I know I've got to do this, but I'm just not that stoked about it. And I'm sensitive to that stuff with my own dogs because I tend to care a lot about that. So generally I make a mental note. I'll even go as far as to write it down to pay the recall more and especially to pay it handsomely. Uh, when I ask for it, when um, it could be one of those that 20% time when they're likely not to come. So, um, and I still have other parameters on, on that behavior in place. It still exists. And even if they feel like they don't want to, they still come because they know they should. But uh, I always like to maintain, we're balanced trainers. So maintain that balance with some rewards to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple things, if I can just chime in real quick. No, uh, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Knowing Dave as well as I do and watching him work with his dog, I think when he said he probably hasn't rewarded his dog in that one, my interpretation of that is a a tangible reward handed to the dog. Not necessarily kind of one of those relationship awards where he's Mm -hmm. telling his dog how much he loves him Mm -hmm. and he enjoys his company and, uh, you know, he finds him to be a great overall dude. Right. So in my opinion, yeah, Dave may not be paying him in the way that you get paid from a job, with a tangible, here you go, yeah. here's a treat, yeah. here's a Rolling toy nose is meaningful today. Right. Yeah. And, and I've seen him make it meaningful in the way he interacts and how he shares affection and just a kind of emotional exchange. Mm-hmm. So um, even though Dave said he's not paying Am I beating up on Dave? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> that, that's just my interpretation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is that... Even though Dave is saying, oh, I haven't paid it in that long, Got it. he's paid it with kind of their social rewards. Sure. You know, um, dumbhead. Dumbhead. But the other thing I wanted to bring up was kind of what you were talking about with when you were talking about your dog having to impress you. And you, you reworded that at one point or another, essentially saying that you wanted your dog to essentially make you active. Right. right. And getting, you know, over the past few days a uh, chance to hang out with you and watch mm-hmm. you with your puppy mm-hmm. we've been talking a lot about free shaping mm-hmm. and some of those active mm-hmm. behaviors and things like that and I know that's something you're kind of really interested in right now and it's, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how much you've done in the past but mm-hmm. I know for sure it's something you've been doing a lot now and I get a lot out of it I think it's a, a real mm-hmm. fun way to interact mm-hmm. with my dog so what is it about that free shaping that really has you kind of excited about it at this point yeah and so this this is something I, I put out publicly like I don't know, a few months ago or something is this Bob Bailey. I think most people, if anybody's listened to this stuff, they'll know who he is. But in, uh, in 1963, it said that behavior is uh, best bestowed by the animal versus compelled by the trainer. So this idea of an animal figuring out 
how to make things sort of happen mm-hmm. them, whether it's in the environment, whether it's relating to another animal, whether it's interspecies or across. And so this is stuff that's been around for a long time. And a guy like him has, has been promoted it really well. Susan Garrett's got a book out called Shaping Success that's really good. So if there's anybody out there that likes to read and dig in and nerd out on that stuff, I'd highly recommend it because it's going to challenge you to break things down and look at training really in a different way and all that's possible. Um, and then Josh and I were talking – kind of like name dropping right now, whatever. Bart Bellin, who's over the past uh, few years really gone to free shaping a lot and found power in that. And I think he's giving that information and permission to a lot of the protection world that maybe missed sort of the value of that lesson. So I've been lucky to be around a lot of agility trainers over the years who have influenced me in that manner. What I love about it is, this is going to sound kind of like what a lot of people say, but you can get a bit lazier in your training. So if you're watching me do these sessions, it's just like anybody else you saw free shaping. I sit there with a relatively passive look on my face. I'm usually smiling when I'm training, so something like that. But I've got the food in my hand. You know, you've seen me, me all try to like mug it and, and try to go right for it. And eventually that's a poor strategy. And he starts to find other things to do, which he earns it through. So, um, but it's this idea of self-actualization and it's generally like how I say it. They get to self-actualize. Um, well, they self-discover behaviors. They are the ones that are really in sort of charge of their own destiny, so to speak. And I've not seen dogs come alive with as much power and in, in, like in self belief, um, and as as well without. So there's functional aspects of it too. All right, going on a little bit of a tangent, but well, the less the less I have to put in in the beginning um, with the dog, the less I have to take away eventually. So if my goal or my focus is sport work, if you figure you go into a sport context, any discipline you're out there. If, if your goal is to trial or compete, you don't have the ability aside from like a rally sport to talk to your dog and encourage them, praise them, give them um, traditional rewards and training. So if I start out my training relationship with my dog and, and one that's particularly designed towards sport training or some sort of sport discipline, if I am in the beginning doing a lot of cheerleading, talking, moving around, adding energy to get energy for my dog, that's all stuff that I have to remove. So I alienate the process a little bit by adding all that stuff in, which can't eventually be there. So if I can sit back, be smart, control my environment, control resources, and teach the dog that they're capable of making things come alive, they're already accustomed at a very young age, nine weeks, like for example with Miho, to pushing the neutral picture. So now as I progress and teach him more things and fine-tune stuff and sharpen it up and bring in places to ensure that I can secure those behaviors not only in my little test lab but on the road, whatever I'm doing, I've got a dog that that doesn't, that part doesn't change. He's very comfortable. He very much believes himself when I'm giving nothing. And so from a that to me is functional for any sport trainer. So if somebody's going out there and they're song and dancing around to get their dog energized for the work, that to me is a is a system that could suffer from failure quicker than a dog that knows how to push actually excels at pushing a neutral picture. So if there's sport trainers out there that are doing a lot of running and I've I've done this, I've done this in the past. Um, and there's still value in moving around and having these interactive like dynamic I don't know, events or whatever with your dog. But if you can start off and teach them right away to push neutral pictures, if you can teach them to problem solve, if you can open up their mind and their love for learning that way without actually stepping in and having to facilitate too much, I think there's a real strength in that. And I think that the dogs, we use the word self-actualized, but self-actualized then within that manner. And for me, that's that's powerful. And we were, we were just saying, Josh and I were talking about, we're having a lot of fun with this stuff. It is, it is so much fun to sit back and... I'll say it again. We have, you know, you have to make sure that you're sort of controlling your environment or setting it up to support what you're doing, yeah. and then have 
you know, hopefully the best thing. The dog knows that that's within that environment and just watch them work to figure things out and watch their little brains grow. And you should have a plan in place in certain senses. Like there's things that I'm deliberately training right now. An example is I'm extending, it's a bit of a Susan Garrett, it's your choice variation, but I extend my hand out and the dog has got to actually work away from the hand to get it. So it's a premac principle too, right? So a high probability behavior can serve as reinforcement for a low probability behavior. Dog would rather mug my hand and, you know, fish just get the food, but, yeah. but the only way through that is to move away, put his feet, for example, on a little touch pad. That's what I'm doing. And for nine weeks old, what I suspect this dog to be, I, I have a little bit of, I'm seeing who I think he could be just based on some limited experience I have with other like dogs like him. I think he's going to be a tough dude. And so I'm trying to be very proactive with the training right now. And I want him to immediately work away from rewards to not care. I want to deep, I want to sort of undermine their value in a sense. He'll still get them, but there's no sense in hanging around waiting for him to show up. You go out and you sort of earn your keep and you come back and you get a good meal for it. And so if I can instill that at a young age, I feel like I'll be a lot better off down the line. I'll have to contend with a lot less crap. When I say crap, I should be a little bit more specific, but I'll have to deal uh, less with matters of unequal distribution of equity. This young dog is probably, if he's anything like you know, his relatives is going to really like interacting with decoys, i.e. chewing on them. And that would be, I, I say this a lot, but I'll spend all this time um, building a relationship, a play relationship, an obedience relationship, doing food work, loving on my dogs, developing something I think is authentic and real. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, they reach a certain age, I'm doing doing more decoy work, say if, if bite sports is my, is my desire to do with them. And that is the infidelity in my relationship all the time. They're, they're, they're just programmed to, selected for over the years to just really love and crave that activity. And so I try to be a decoy on my end with a tug. I try to like spar him up and I build him. I'm responsible for making my dog a, t- a tough guy when he's young and, and instilling that inner belief in him. And then there's going to be guys that are going to come along that I'm going to let him interact with in that way, chewing on, learning decoy work, and they're just going to really love it. And that competes with what I built on my side. So I work really diligently to maintain that stuff. But if I can establish great patterns and expectations in place at a young age, I've got that much more time while they're developing to leverage myself against those things. So you're talking like a, for example, when you're holding out your hand and you got food, in but you're asking him to go to his dog bed in order to get that food. Yeah. And not asking, right? Presenting an opportunity. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, we're not verbally asking, yeah. yeah, to be clear. But in our mind, that's our end goal. Sure. Right? So you yeah. got to get to the bed to get yeah. the food. It's going to be a lot easier, essentially, to ignore a decoy. Sure on the field and sure. do something you're asking right. him because right. that's a behavior he's been essentially doing right. since nine weeks old. Right, yeah. And I don't want him to just get mentally hung up on yeah. the sight of toys, the sight of food, the smell of it. It's These things are present. So I'm pushing the issue right now. These things are present. Work away from it. And so like uh, with, I'll just say this too, you guys can chime in, but with Miho too, I'm also teaching him to work away from me right away. Yeah. Do such a good job of building value for us. The dogs want to be close to us and doing that. So right off the bat, I'm teaching him, at least in the first few days, I've been teaching him to work away from me. He's picking it up very quick. He's smart, and I'm pleased, and I'm having a blast. Personally, I've done a bunch of that work with Seif when she was a puppy. Not as much with um, you know it from my hand, but I'm a big fan of the manners minder. Yeah, yeah, you were telling uh, me about that. I use it a oh, lot, yeah. and... I, I think it's super fun to use 
And it is, there is for sure an aspect of laziness. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> quite literally just pressing yeah. a button, the machine makes the tone yeah, and yeah, delivers yeah, yeah. the food. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. But in the same mindset, the because the dog quickly learns that the food comes out of the machine, yeah. it's in essence the hand holding the food up. Yes, got it. Yeah. So the dog is learning to work away from mm-hmm. what uh, essentially makes the food available to right. them yeah. by doing other exercises. Right. Yeah. And it's a ton of fun, but I have found now as Seif is almost three years old, it's incredibly easy for me to throw a bunch of toys around the room and keep asking her to do mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. or have food laying present on the floor yeah. Yeah. and ask her to do something else. Yeah. It's yeah. very easy to ignore that food or yeah. the toy yeah. because it's something that's built into her mentality. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're creating layers of separation between primaries and the behavior, and those those layers are behavior. So yeah. they only strengthen and become stronger because that dog understands what they earn through them. But if you start that at a young age, they could just mentally switch. And that's what really what it's about for me is that their mind doesn't get so preoccupied with things. Mm-hmm. And then you have toys out of the picture, you have food out of the picture much quicker. Yeah. Um, so you're not messing with, I think, what becomes a little bit of dishonesty in training. So. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. What's um, what's have you noticed a difference aesthetically or maybe even psychologically between behaviors you've lured and shaped in the traditional sense versus behaviors you free shaped or allowed for a spontaneous offering of that behavior. Yeah, um, I can usually make the behavior faster when I'm luring and directing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I don't mind that. There's certain things because I'm so particular about how the dog performs and that we talked about this flu, I will lure. Yep. So healing is something that um, there'll be some elements of it that are free shaped. So there are pieces that I'll build away from heel position that will be free shaped. So the dog will discover them on their own. Eventually, I'll, I'll capture them with a cue or something, and I'll allow them to pop up in heel position when the time is right, which will just continue to, which will add more value to what already is a very valuable place, a placement of heel. But um, I, so like the difference, I've been able to create behaviors a little bit faster, certain behaviors, more complex ones with luring. Um, I can get exactly what I want in terms of how the dog completes those or mechanically moves within those behaviors. Because you don't have to worry about the dog yeah. trying three, yeah. four different things yeah. and then ending up. Yeah. yeah. And but for me, like what I like about free shaping is like almost the cumulative effect of the dog. What we're we talking about finding that self-belief, but I've seen less stress in almost like what, what if it, I think if it's done right, if you're approximating it, the piece is small. So if you're if you're finding a way to keep the dog successful through that and not asking for too big of jumps in criteria where the dog can frustrate and you can have things sneak into your behavior chain that you don't want to, which is always a little bit dangerous. That's where like barking, vocalization, a lot of the leaking we find happens. Because dogs are frustrated and not connecting the dog, the dots quicker. So if you want to watch somebody that's kind of like a, a brilliant maniac at free shaping, you watch somebody like a Sylvia Turkman. And when you watch this woman free shape the dog, and she's brilliant, and she's this beautiful, like European hippie kind of feel to her. I took one of her online trick courses yeah. years ago. It was yeah. awesome. I have a huge crush on her. Yeah, I, don't <laughs> she, I don't know, man. I don't know how old she is or what, but she's got this messy hair. Okay, she looks she's like awesome. she woke up all the time. And I'm like, I want to wake up next to you type of thing. Like, me as a brother role. And that. She's got a boyfriend or something, is not she? But, uh... You, you almost don't even see what she's paying. She clicks so much and it's these, these minuscule offerings and the dogs end up going through that just really like calm. There's not this cumulative stress from the learning from like these dogs that really get motivated for it. If they're not getting these payments quick, quick enough, they start to like this 
to become aroused, stressed. There's this frustrated, frustrated, yeah. and it kind of shows it crops into our training in ways that we don't want. So what I love about free shaping and behaviors that I've done that with is if you're doing it right and you're approximating small enough and you have patience and you're really into it, uh, you find that the dogs will learn very smoothly, and I think that they're clear-headed about it. Yeah. The I do I have struggled with like this is something that Tyler had actually taught me about the last time he was here, but like stuff that we've done, I just didn't know there's a word for it, but command contingency or cue contingency. So when to actually put the cues in place to capture those things. But I've got 80% proficiency in behavior. I'm going to shift criteria and probably name it. Or if it's where I want it to be, if it is a completed behavior, 80% proficient on, then I'll, I'll put a cue to it. So I'll name it. It's kind of like a Bob Baileyism, but <clears throat> adding some duration to some things too. But that's actually, if somebody's not able to do that, that means you, I think you have an incomplete communication system. So you can teach a dog what a duration marker is. Not everything has to be terminal and release. Mm -hmm. And you can start to sustain them, pay for placement or reward for placement, which is a Bob Baileyism too. Blah, 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 right? <laughs> no, you fall no. asleep over there, dude? It's getting late, huh? Not, well, I mean, it's getting late for my old ass. I was up at six for jujitsu, but... How old are you, Dave? I'm 30. I turned 30 a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you're a young guy. Well, I mean, I'm... He's old at heart. I'm old at heart for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I remember my friends are out partying and I'm out here in a bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Let it hang out, dude. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I don't close the bathrobe. I assure you. Yeah. That, that thing's wide open. No. We just lost 80% of our listeners. Yeah, right now. <laughs> Holy shit, Dave is actually 70? Oh, weird. And he's got a girlfriend who's 29? That's so weird. No. <laughs> it's conversations like that, that that just happen that like make me so pumped for the fact like I cannot wait to get a puppy. Like, okay. We, which is why I asked you a couple weeks ago, like let tell Katie that we need to get a puppy. Cause you know what you can, but you can free shape any dog. Oh, right? I so that's you, yeah. I've got a buddy over in Malibu who takes dogs in. And he's so pumped on free shaping right now. He's really good at it too, um, and he's learning a lot about it. He comes from a traditional training background, so me personally, I'm always proud and impressed by what he's how the changes he's made over the last couple of years just in his training approach. And I think he sees like real truth in training, so he grabs the whole of the stuff that's good. But so he gets these dogs in that are just. For example, he's got two five-year-old shepherds right now that are pretty set in their ways. They're trained in a traditional, traditional approach. He brought them in. They were overweight. They didn't want any sort of food. And he just he would give them a chance to, to work for their food. And if they wouldn't, you know, it's, a, it's like a food contingency model. He would just go and try again later, right? Eventually, they became hungry. But all he would do is go out and sit down with a bowl of food if they were interested, Uh in it, he would wait for him to do something, anything, click, and start paying. It took about four days, and then he kind of unlocked them. And it was sort of when they became hungry enough and intense, like, intense enough for it, like, eager enough for it. And then the problem he had was that they were kind of locked in. So they weren't – they didn't feel a freedom within their thinking to make – they didn't know that they had power, right? They were waiting okay. to be told what to do. Interesting. Interesting. So – he just waited out and started clicking any deviation from staring at their face like they were, <laughs> like they were uh, statues. And so it, it could be an ear twitch. It could be a look to the side. And now he's got them on the hunt for behaviors. And it's maybe maybe it's, he's about eight days into it. So it took three days to really get them loosened up where they thought, oh, I'm actually kind of in charge of this. Now, he's got them in for a month. So he's going to go through all the other things. He's going to teach them how to be mannerly on a leash. And he's got 
other things that he can he's got to chip away at and work through. But this is just one of the ways he likes to build a relationship and actually give them the power back and the learning, and that leaks over into all the other things that he does. And so these dogs come back within within a month, and he'll you know, spend that time free shaking up front. Come back changed animals, like their belief in themselves, their like their spirit, the way they carry themselves. Um, to me, those shifts are powerful. And when I was doing a lot of pet dog training, I wasn't doing much. I mean, there was there's a, a little bit of it here and there, but much pre shaping with these dogs because I was subscribing to you know, two or three week program, and they were coming in kind of like I got to teach you how to walk on a leash and be polite, blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, so, but pre shaping, it's fun for both parties. Being lazy about it, and I haven't seen dogs come alive for training as much as just by giving them an opportunity to, to discover just how smart and capable they are. So, so. interesting. I, I enjoy, so my first introduction to free shaping was with, of course, Tyler and Josh. And um, when I first started the competition heel, it was uh, Tyler has a few videos on YouTube. And uh, it was about board, like perch work. We, we sort of touched, it, touched on it in your course. But, um, you know, you teach the dog to touch the board and then you teach the dog that, you know, this position is good and then you get the dog off the board and have them come to the board and to the heel position. Um, I free shaped that whole, that whole thing, like the touch of the board and everything. And for me, I'm going to pat myself on the back figuratively and literally, but I think Roland's entrances into the heel are super cool looking because of the fact that I free-shaped that whole thing. And one particular video, there was a week in the course where you said, make him push you for it. And uh, I recorded the video outside, and just seeing him, he'll just swing into heel. Like, that's mm. his one of his default things, mm. right? If he's super pumped, he knows, well, I can't certainly jump on this person, although I'd love to, so mm. maybe I'll just swing into a heel. So watching him swing into heel with other people is not only hilarious... Because the person's confused as to why he keeps swinging around into a heel position and looking at them, but it, it makes me like a proud dad. Cool. Like, oh man, look, my dog's yeah. swinging into heel and other people. Yeah. You know what? That's a great point, Ava. There's nothing that makes me smile sort of watching my dogs work with other people. And so that, and it, I think, says something about the strength of behavior that you've created, their comfortability working with others, and their understanding just of their trust of the training process i guess you could say or what it means that relationship and uh for me with when my dogs were young i had a lot of other people handling them because i was doing the decoy work and i was interested in, in a sport called monitoring at that time um so they were handed off regularly to other people to handle them what the decoy work but even to this day when somebody takes algebra and heals them around it makes me smile i love that he can work with other people i love he trusts it and i love that he can play with other people and that he's got a strength of understanding of behavior that somebody else could give him a cue um you know, if he's paying attention, if they sort of connect with him, and then the performance is kind of neat. I agree. It was, uh, just, uh, from what I've seen with a lot of the behaviors I've free shaped with my own dogs, kind of what Dave is talking about, where, you know, Roland gets into heel with a lot more passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some of the things that I've worked with my dogs on, and the behaviors that I've free shaped. That's just kind of the, the wording I use for it. They tend to do it with more passion. Yeah, for sure. They know yeah. I can make something good happen yeah. when I do this particular yeah. exercise. Yeah. So I think that does 
in my limited experience, it has most certainly influenced the aesthetic of the behavior mm -hmm. because the dog doesn't do it so much as like, oh, I have to do this, but now I get the opportunity to do it, mm -hmm. and I've been looking for a chance, a reason, mm -hmm. essentially. So it's something I'm I'm also pretty pretty stoked on recently, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably over the past year or so, um, two years, I've really been monkeying around with it a lot. So cool. I guess I'm, I'm proud of the, the dog world because that used to be something that was sort of exclusive, exclusive to certain small groups of people or maybe agility people thought they kind of were the only ones that do it or something like that. And they, maybe they were for, for a while, but sure. it's really catching on. And look at where you guys are, what do you say, like some pet dog trainers, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just, I don't even know what the hell I am. But here we are playing around with, playing around and loving this process, right? And, and believing in it and sharing it with others, it's sitting here spending time on Wednesday night talking about it. And so it shows in 20 years just how much great information has trickled into all areas of dog training. And, yeah. And that, you know, smart, passionate guys like us pick it up and want to do it, play with it, pass it on to our, to our other smart, passionate friends and peers. You forgot handsome. That's you right. Definitely, definitely forgot handsome. <laughs> Bearded. Elvis Bearded, hair. handsome. Half sleeves. Long hair, tattooed hippies yeah. that we are. But I, 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 <laughs> I am proud. I am proud of that for all of us in the dog training community. No, I agree. We're, you know, it used to be just put some leashes on and let's make them do stuff, but we are really thinking about this stuff and putting it together. And the sharing freaking of information awesome. yeah, is, awesome. is incredible. Yeah, it's no, a great, it's great cool. time to be a dog trainer. It, it really is. the uh, The one question I've asked every guest that's been on this podcast is uh, what what they thought of now these online courses being available to whether it be professional trainers or just the general public, right? So uh, you don't have to be a professional dog trainer to hop on Learberg.com and take your course, right? It could be someone like, hmm, this seems kind of interesting, or that dog looks cool, I want to do that. Like that that kind of advancement, and, and it's certainly in its infancy at this point, you know, the online courses. Like when I was in college five or six years, I don't even know when the hell I was in college. Let's call it a couple of years ago. It's probably a decade ago now that I think about it. <laughs> Holy shit. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing didn't exist. And I feel like I came in at a, a pretty good time of, uh, uh, you know, I came into dog training at a special time when things like online courses were available, right? You know, I know, for example, when Josh started training dogs, he didn't have the opportunity to do this mm -hmm. and and I have to feel lucky but like what are your thoughts on the advancements in, in dog training in terms of you know not only the what the internet has caused but like for example we're on Skype right now granted it took us long enough to get it going Jesus but uh, you know how do you feel about dog training in the internet now you know what pros cons well, make a bit of my living dog training on the internet. How do you feel about Al Gore and his invention of the internet? Like what? <laughs> I think that I, I think it's great for dogs. I'll say something that um, I had a conversation on Skype with Bart Bellin like a year and a half ago, and he said that dog training is always something that he'll feel, taste, smell, breathe, and I believe that. Right. So he, he was he was kind of saying that he wasn't sure about online classes because it's dog training is something you've got to be in the in the moment in there present doing, and that's a, that's of course that's true 
right? But that's what you are in Roland are able to do in your living room, in your driveway, on your street. And you're more than capable of watching a video where a concept is portrayed or given or explained. And if you've got some savvy, some, some knowledge, or if it's laid out well enough, you can go and you can implement that. So, like for me, if I go and take in a seminar, a lot of times I'm auditing these seminars, and there's so much I gain from just watching a concept be explained. And all I've got to do is see a piece of it, and I can generally run with it and add on to it, modify it to fit my needs or whatever. But I think it's an incre- I think it's great. It's a good thing, and I think dogs are benefiting from it. There's no faster like look at how much good information is getting out there now, and people are able to see. Like the proof of this by watching videos of animals working, by pe- people that are taking pride in their work and are laying out nice programs and are able to quantify exactly what they're doing and give it to others in a way that they can also understand it, are saying, check out this, here's the steps I've taken to achieve this. And we go, wow, I never thought about that, but I love that line of thinking or that approach to this particular situation. And you're able to do it. And how, I mean, how was that information passed before you would have to find out in a newspaper or something about a seminar and go take somebody in that took 10 years to gather information we're able to get in 10 minutes now. And so there's also, it's a bit, it's a bit dangerous on levels too. Like <laughs> yeah. you've got guys, you know, like guys are learning quick and, um, you know, there's, there's, it's funny. I have to watch my mouth a little bit, but there's a lot of folks out there, you know, uh, people like, trying to police the dog world or, or go around and saying who, who should be able to teach and who shouldn't. And we'll st- I guess I'll stay away from that conversation a little bit, but <laughs> I do know that, um, you know, it's not a replacement for going out there and getting your hands on dogs. So if you can go and take a little course and fill out a, you know, a survey at the end and get some sort of certification or feel like you've got information without actually getting in and digging, digging in and getting your hands on dogs. And that's a problem. So, but the, sh- the, sh- that shit usually shines through, mm-hmm. you know, like I've always said, like if somebody, somebody had asked me about, um, you know, I, I do a fair amount of seminars and, uh, uh, I have over the last about four years, I've been traveling quite a bit doing it. And, um, it's been great, man. Like it's, it's been an incredible learning experience for me. And, uh, I don't think I would still be doing seminars if I wasn't at, at least approaching it honestly and giving, putting some value out there. And so, I would say, like, if, say, if somebody's going to go out and do a workshop and, and another person would say, well, why can that person get out there and do that or why should they be able to do that? Well, yeah, I mean, why not? And they're not going to be doing it for very long if they're not good at it. You know, you're not going to have somebody that's going to build a career going out and teaching and re- going back to the same places and getting referred to other places if they're not doing a good job. And maybe, uh, you know, it's up to the people that are in attendance or whatever to decide who they like to learn from and who can help their, their dog. But... It's incredible. That's the answer to your question. I never have a freaking short answer for anything. The internet, pros and cons, but I think that in the end, the benefit is to the dogs. I mean, at least that's my hope. And that's what I think I see is that people are getting great information. Now, everybody's an expert, of course. Everybody's got something to say and something to do. But, hey, man, if, the, if dog situations are improving, I think they are, then we're on a good track. I think it's been pretty rad for the transference of technical skills. And I, I can say that honestly from a first-person perspective that my ability to, to just simply talk and change my message as I'm talking to a real human being is very different than when I'm trying to prepare something that anybody can look at and get the same skill. You have to be able to break that technical skill down in a different way that's going to be easily absorbed for people. So it causes you to be a lot more thoughtful about it. Here's someone going to hand you this piece of information. 
and I think I mean, there's always going to be some sort of limitation of what you can achieve through a screen. When it comes to something like dog training, mm-hmm. so much of it's feel, relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think you're absolutely right. It's it's pushing it's all in a direction sure. because there's so much available. Mm-hmm. Look, the huge dialogue that's going on training now is cool. and and if it's healthy and if you're if you're in a safe place where people are in, like promoting each each other. I mean, in like in our thinking, our, in our own evolution as trainers, uh, that's a good thing because you can put something out there if you're asking honest advice feedback and get honest feedback on it. People could say, I look at it this way and this is how I think. And so people really into it are smart about their approach, able to access other people that are the same and get help. And for me that's been incredible. And that's it, the information sharing it's never that which is it's just incredible. Protect yourselves against you know protect yourselves against bad information and we are able to see, see stuff that doesn't sit well with you. You can always reach out to some trust dog friend 2,000 miles away if you've got one and go over it with them. How does this make sense? Thing. So we're networking so quickly. Information's going out so quickly. I think we're able to vet it very quickly as well mm-hmm. because we're getting exposed to so much. So you can separate good stuff from bad stuff. Agreed. You're absolutely right, though, what Josh was saying. So the technical stuff. Nice to show, easy to show. This is why I purposefully, like, at Leroy, we've shied away from courses that are like, uh, you know, if somebody wanted to do a course and dealing with, a, like, a, with aggression, it's like, what are we even talking about? How do you do that? How do you come up with an action plan that you can, somebody else can recreate? Come up with that. Such a case, case basis. So. That's the, that's the, touch. that's the, uh, the thing he's talking about that you need to go and see, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to Step physically. And they can, Hands on, yes, sir. but uh, so if people want to get a hold of you, Forrest, mm. how can they go about doing so? You know, I don't really have any way for that to happen. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've got a website, and um, my email is uh, forrestmickey at gmail.com, so they could do that. I've got a website that I have um, all my seminars for 2016 planned out. So if somebody was thought they wanted to come and check something out, they could always look at my website, and there, there's a list. I do about once a month. I've got um, yeah a few things going on this year that are fun. Yeah, otherwise email's good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. Uh, Josh, how can they contact you? Um, Facebook, Josh Moran. Twitter, at Dogman Moran. Um, BarefootDogTrainer.com. That's pretty much it. Excellent. You if you have can... my cell phone number, you can call that, but if you don't, too bad. I'm going to give it to everybody. If you want to just get a hold of me, uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook at David Putman. Uh, if you go to Dave Putman, you'll get a hold of my dad, and he'll probably be confused. <laughs> but uh, email. Uh, we're going to have a Philosophers and Mad Men Facebook page up pretty shortly, and uh, that would be a prime place to contact either Josh or I. Um, I don't know how to do Facebook stuff like that. We're going to figure it out because uh, we're so busy training dogs that we don't get time for Facebook. That's <laughs> a horrible lie. But, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook right now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, guys, thanks for listening. Forrest, thank you tremendously for doing this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I dig you guys, and thanks for uh, hanging out. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, cool.
We'll do it again sometime. Ooh. It's a date. It's ooh. Can we have like a real date? Like light some candles and shit. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. You can drink your scotch whiskey or whatever you do. <laughs> I can't to to Skype in and see Dave backlit with yeah, candles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, if we're gonna have a date, I'm gonna drink red wine and it's gonna be classy. Okay. Will you read me, will you read me, will you read me some Fitzgerald? Oh, girl, yeah, you know. 